Well, we have been going through the book of Luke. And so far, what we've seen is that the first eight chapters are all about who is Jesus. Who is this that simply speaks peace, be still, and the wind and waves stop immediately? Who is this that looks at someone and says, your sins are forgiven? Nobody else went around saying these kind of things or doing these things. But in chapter 9 today, you're going to see a shift You're going to see a shift as Peter, helped by the Holy Spirit, declares, you are the Christ of God. Not just a good teacher, not just a prophet, not even some famous man or woman that's been raised from the dead, but the Messiah, the sent one, the one we've been waiting for, the one God promised would come into the world to solve our biggest problem, The sin problem that separates us from a holy God. And so what you're going to see is the moment Peter identifies Jesus, who he really is, in a way that no one else had yet declared. Jesus immediately shifts the focus and begins to clarify now who his disciples really are. You see, for Jesus, there were two critical issues, not one, two. Yeah, oh yes, number one, I want you to know who I really am and what I came to do. But number two, I want you to know how you will live when you believe in who I am. Not when you say you believe, when you truly believe in Jesus. And belief in Jesus is not just assent. Yeah, I believe some facts. When you've put your trust in him, when you know him, when you're in a relationship with him, when you've given your life to him, what does it look like? What do disciples of Jesus look like? Because I hope you realize, according to the Bible, they look and live radically different than the rest of the world. It was in the book of Acts. We've already gone through Acts. But it was in the book of Acts that they said, Oh, these Christians who have turned the world upside down have now come to our town. I hope you realize miracles did not turn the world upside down. Do you know that? It's not, oh, they had so many miracles going on and we don't. Miracles did not turn the world upside down. In fact, miracles quickly began to cease as the apostles died off and Jesus went back to heaven. The apostles and Jesus were largely doing miracles. What turned the world upside down? It was as Christians began to spread across Asia and Europe and the known world. It was the way they were living because it was so radical, so loving so sacrificial and selfless. Guess what? It was a harsh, dark world then, and that stood out and turned it upside down. It's the same thing with the turn this world upside down. It could turn this world upside down. Stop wishing we had more miracles, wishing we had more this, that, and the other. We have everything that they had. The spirit of Jesus living in us and the call of Jesus before us. Let's find out what he says. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 beginning in verse 18. 
Now it happened that as he was praying, the disciples were with him and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has arisen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one. If that's ever confused you, like I just got done saying, he wants us to know who he really is. Yes, he does. But multiple times you'll see him when someone finally gets it right, and Peter got it right, say, now, don't begin to spread this abroad. Here's why. He's saying, I am the Messiah. I am the sent one. You got it right? But just like today, they had a very different notion of what they thought the Messiah was going to do. They thought he was going to kick out the Romans. He was going to wipe out the political system. He was going to set up a kingdom and they were going to rule with him. And it was going to be the way they wanted it to be. And they would be in charge with him. He knows that the timing of this word getting out has to be right. He's got work to do before then. And that's why he shocks them next by saying, you got it right. But here's why I came into this world. Look what he says next in verse 22. The son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. You got it right. I'm the sent one. And here's what I came to do. When you go over to Matthew 16, which is Matthew's account of the same event, it's there that you find Matthew records this additional insight. That the same Peter who got it right and said, you're the Christ of God, is the same Peter that when he said, I'm going to suffer, die, rise again. Peter said, never, Lord. Never will this happen. And what did Jesus then say to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan, for your thoughts are set on man's way, not my. They, the disciples, did not think the Messiah was coming to die He's coming to reign, and they're going to reign with him. He's coming to kick out the Romans. He's coming to fix this political system we hate. He's coming to change this culture right now with us. He's like, nope, it's not what I came to do. So now he's like, now that you know who I am, and now that I've clarified what I've come to do, suffer, die, rise again. Let me clarify how you will live when you really believe in me, what my disciples look like. Verse 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me. So this is not like, if anyone wants to get really serious, there's basic Christianity and then there's green berets. We're going green beret here. Nope. This passage today, you guys, is basic Christianity 101. I know we've lost sight of it, because of the Christian so-called books that have been written and blogs and everything that's been saying and our own human hearts that want something different. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What he's saying is these two phrases describe what you got to do if you're going to follow him. You got to deny yourself because up until this point, self has ruled the self monster, the me monster, promoting me, protecting me, living for my own glory. That's got to die or you'll never follow me. You'll keep doing and you got to take up your cross. How often? Daily, which means be willing moment by moment to say no to what you think and yes to what I say. No to what you think and yes to what I say. That's the only way you'll ever be following me. 
Otherwise, you'll be doing your own thing with a Christian bumper sticker on your car. That doesn't make you a Christian. Doing your own thing with a Christian ball cap. Doing your own thing while you play 103.5 K-Love music. Doing your own thing while you... You can have just a trapping, little bit peripheral Christian stuff all around your life and at the core still be exactly who you always were. Christianity, when you know Jesus and you're... That's why he said you must be born again. When you're truly born again... You look and live radically different. And so what can we learn from this passage? Well, let me finish it first. Deny himself, take up the cross daily, follow me. For whoever would save his life, that's our normal tendency. How do I keep hold of me? How do I protect me? What what if it's not good for me? But what about me? What about me? Who would ever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, will save it for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself so what can we learn from the passage about who he is and what it looks like to follow him number one you have to decide for yourself who jesus is you have to decide for yourself who Jesus is. I want you to notice how Jesus moves from a third person question in verse 19 to a personal question in verse 20. And that's what he's still doing today. It's personal. It's each person has to answer this question for themselves. In verse 19, he says, who do the crowds say that I am? Now, I hope you realize he's not gathering data. He's not taking a survey because he doesn't know. He knows what word on the street about him is. He knows what the crowds are saying. What he's doing is this is just a warm-up question for the most important question he's about to ask them next. Look at it in verse 20. But who do you say that I am? And in the original Greek language that the New Testament was written in, this, this emphasis is made all the more clear because he puts the personal pronoun up front at the beginning of his question. He literally fixes his eyes on them and says, the first word in the Greek is not but or who or do. The first word in the Greek is you. But who do you say that I am? That's still the most important question that the most important person who's ever lived is still asking each one of us. Who do you say that I am? Not, not, what did your parents teach you growing up? What did you hear in the church growing up? What does your grandmother or or best friend believe? Not even, what have you heard some professors or documentary series say about me? Who do you say that I am? And if you say, oh, I still haven't decided what I think about Jesus. I get that quite a bit today. As I try to engage young adults, whether it's in the gym or on a plane or wherever, I'll say, you have any thoughts about the afterlife? You have any thoughts about Jesus? You have, I'll just kind of lead in real casual-like. And this is a common response. Oh, I haven't really decided what I think about Jesus or God or afterlife. Listen to me. Let me encourage you to move that to the top of your to-do list. Because, listen to me, the answer to that question, who is Jesus, changes how you live now and where you're headed next. 
It changes how you live now. So would you not want to know sooner rather than later? Sooner, much, much sooner is the time to wrestle with this all-important question. Who do you? This is not like a party question that we could use for fun. This is not like when I have some free time with friends over coffee or a beer. We'll just bat that one around. Oh my goodness. This changes how you would live right now. What you would value what you would prize, how you would respond to trials, and they're coming. How you see this world, because now it gets framed against the backdrop of eternity instead of temporal. It changes how you live now and where you're headed next. So, oh, wrestle with this. Investigate this. Put it at the top of your to-do list, starting with read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as you read them, let me add this. Pray, God Show me who Jesus is. Because again, it's worth noting that if you jump over to Matthew 16, don't. When Peter gets it right and says, you are the Christ of God. He literally says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Peter, but my father who's in heaven. We must make a choice to wrestle with the question. But guess what? Unless God turns on the lights for you. And takes out your heart of stone and unstops your deaf ears and opens your blind eyes. You won't know him for who he really is. Oh God, show me. You can't come to the scriptures already with an opinion and you're not really listening. You're not really seeking. You're not really wanting to know. So show me. Show me. Show me who Jesus really is. Sooner rather than later. Don't say, I'm so young, there's a lot of life ahead of me, there's other things. There's nothing else more important. This is the most important question that the most important person who's ever lived is still asking every one of you. Who do you say that I am? Because the answer changes how you live now. Dr. Francis Collins served as the director of the Human Genome Project that involved 2,000 scientists working together for 15 years to map out the sequence of all 3.1 billion letters that comprise the code of human DNA. They mapped out that entire amazing, mind-blowing, double-stranded helix of life. This is not a stupid man. Not a stupid man. And yet he had done what so many people still do today. He had taken none of that brain power to consider this all-important question. He had never considered, seriously, the claims of Christianity or the person of Jesus Christ. But when he did, his life was changed forever when he began to investigate the claims of Jesus and Christianity because he was gripped. What, What got his attention? What got him beginning? I want you to hear this. He was gripped by a simple and disarming question. What? Do you believe? Stop thinking you have to be smarter than someone else to help point them to Jesus. He says at 26 years old, as he was making hospital rounds, he popped into the room of a a very old woman who had advanced heart disease. And as he did his job to check on her, she took this opportunity that I tell you all the time. Run the flag up the flagpole. Mention God. Mention Jesus. Do something. And she shared with him her hope. Her hope and faith in God through his son, Jesus Christ. And then 
He says she simply looked at him and said, I've told you what I believe. What do you believe, Dr. Collins? And he said that simple question shook him. Hear this, you guys. Do you realize the power of a question? You want to make a difference in our world? Don't go around hurling accusations. Again, read your four gospels. Jesus asked questions all the time. He asked questions. He asked questions. You'll rarely find Jesus railing against people and accusing them. And yet he could see their heart in ways we can't. He could have gone around accusing people and railing against people constantly. He asked questions. Because a question pricks the conscience. An accusation often just hardens the heart. There's something unsettling and disarming about a question. Ask questions, you guys. That's why I'll ask, do you have any thoughts about the afterlife? You got any thoughts about Jesus? Do you have any thoughts about God? Let me give you a second favorite question that I use. As they begin to talk, you will often hear bizarreness. Even from smart people. Oh, aliens came here and planted a seed in a butterfly. And Really? Oh, tell me more. And my second favorite question is, based on what? How did you come to this conclusion? What is your authority? And I'm kidding you not, you guys. If you'll just keep asking questions, I've seen it so many times. You don't have to attack them and say, that is so stupid. You know how stupid that is? They'll bow up and they'll start to defend because they don't want to be stupid. Just keep asking questions and let stupid arrive to them themselves. I'll watch their faces. Sometimes, sometimes literally I'm leading them out on the edge and I can see it in their face. And they'll just say things like, yeah, I know, kind of. Kind of sad, right? Because I'll say, you're basing your eternity on this? What if you're wrong? I have rarely had someone say, but I'm not. I've, said, I've had people get quiet and say, I know, I know. Ask questions. Questions. This set a brilliant man on a path of investigating Christianity in a way that he never had. For the first time ever, he began to investigate the life of Jesus and the claims of Christianity in the same way he would as a scientist other things. Because he said, quote, this question shook me and I realized I had work to do. I'm a scientist, right? I wasn't supposed to come to conclusions without considering the evidence. But I had never done that for the question of God. And as he investigated it, he came to faith in Christ so that now after more than 30 years... Hear this, of being a scientist and a Christian. You realize you can be both? Oh, how it chafes me when I see the little yard signs. There's one in our neighborhood I saw yesterday as we were walking. Science is real. I agree. I don't have to be an idiot and say, oh, I don't believe in science because I believe in Jesus. (laughs) I'm so stupid. I believe in science. You don't have to be against science when science doesn't match what God's word says. It's just an example of where science hasn't caught up to what's really going on. I'm not against science. I haven't turned off my brain. It's not either or. He's he's been a scientist and a Christian for 30 years. Because guess what? Some of the most important things in all the world, scientists, what they do is they measure. They put something in a lab, they measure, they repeat it. Do you get the same answer? Do you get the same answer? Do you say, you can't do that with love. Does love exist? Oh yeah. Try to get it and bring it in the lab and measure it. You can't, you can't, you can't. Everything is not solved or proven by science. And so he says this, quote, science is powerless to answer many of our deepest questions, such as why are we here? What is the meaning of life? And what happens when we die? 
Those questions can only be answered by faith. He came to faith in Christ and continued to be a scientist. But I want you to notice the second thing that jumps out in the passage that is in contrast to the first point. Oh, yes, you for yourself must decide who you think Jesus is. Not what your parents said, not what you heard in youth group, not, not, not you. But you, number two, woo, you don't get to decide for yourself what it costs to follow him. You don't get to decide for yourself what it costs for, to follow him. I know we live in a world that options are just what we're accustomed to. You know, everything is presented that way. You know, I think about this, this summer we had a chance for the first time on sabbatical. We went to a Mexico all-inclusive with the adult kids. And said, okay, let's go do this thing. They've done it lots, you know. Old parents, our first time. Like, what? All-inclusive? Yeah. So we're there. And here's what you always learn. Oh, there's levels of what you get. You know, you look at the brochure. It's like, you know, there's like bottom level. This is bronze. We give you a folding lawn chair. This is silver. This is gold. You get a cabana with capes all around it. Oh, you get a cabana with people hovering saying, what can I do for you next? There's levels for this amount of money, this. For this amount of money, this. For this amount of money, this. And, you'll, and they, they remind you of the difference constantly. You know, there's elevators like, not for you. This is diamond members. You know, I, could, I can even see you over the fence when I would run back to my room, this special place. And there they are. And I'm looking at these diamond club members. I'm like, you know, people with like palm branches are fanning them. And I'm like, I want that. But I don't think I want to pay what they paid. The mistake we make is that's how Christianity works. You can get on on the ground level and I just don't want to go to hell. That's, I just took him as savior. Here's what sometimes you hear. I, didn't, I just haven't made him Lord yet. I'm, I'm thinking about that. You guys, our world talks that way and even Christianity sometimes, our savior doesn't. If he's not Lord, he's not your savior. If you're not a disciple, you're not a Christian. These are not levels and options. Oh, there's regular Christianity and then there's the let's get serious Green Beret version. Nope. Just Christianity. Jesus is describing Christianity 101. Basic, basic, basic. Look at verse 23 and 24 again. He said to all, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. First thing I want you to see about the cost is following Jesus changes the very core of who you are. Christianity is not all about external things. I now believe in this creed. I now have this list of facts that I adhere to. Christianity is a massive internal birth and transformation at your very core of who you are. That has changed. Something new has taken place, which is why Jesus talked about it and called it new birth. New birth. There's something at the core that has changed. The Greek word for deny right there, the Greek word for deny means to disown something, disregard something, and even repudiate something that you formerly prized and treasured. The word carries with it. When you look up the word, it actually carries with it the idea of rejecting the validity and authority of something that formerly owned you, ruled you, and wanted to enslave you while it promised freedom. What? What is that that we were born with that wants to rule us, own us, 
and tries to enslave us all the while it promises freedom. Sinful self. Sinful self. The me monster. Sinful self. And the reason I'm talking about the core of who you are is because verse 24, when he talks about losing your life, don't make a mistake and think, oh, yeah, if things get even worse here in America, some of us might be faced with, I'll have to die for Jesus. They're going to kill me if I don't. That day may be coming. But what Jesus is talking about is the day we already are in right now. You can do what he is talking about today. In fact, you must do what he's talking about today if you are a disciple. He doesn't use the word bios, which is physical life, that you lose your physical life. He uses the word psyche. Psyche that refers to our inner self, the real you. The real you at the core of your being. The real you that cannot be confined or completely defined by your physical features and characteristics. I do hope you realize there is a real you, a core, a person, a self, a soul that is encased in this body. The real you, you, your inner self. Psychiatrist Sigmund Freud recognized this, pointed to it, had a name for it. He called it the id. In his counseling model, there was the id, the ego, and the superego. And I'll spare you the details. But id, he said, you're born all id. Just id. It's the raw, basic instinct. I want what I want, what I want. Now, often the world is good at defining and telling us what's going on and terrible at giving us solutions for that. So his solution, sadly, was if you read Freud, he'll say, here's what you need to do. Feed the id. Give in to the id. Say yes. You feel bad about committing adultery? Just keep committing adultery and you'll stop feeling bad. You got to be kidding me. Yes, read him. Because he's all about, we got to figure out who has oppressed you with oughts and shoulds and do's and don'ts. It was your parents. It was church. It's teachers. We got to free the id. Free the id. Free the id so that you can be self-actualized. And that's when you will be all you were meant to be. Here we are. Here we are. And oh my goodness, Freud landed on the shores. And I mean, this has been communicated in dozens of different ways. The, The word self has ruled for the last multiple decades self if we could just free self and actualize self and self has been the modifier of choice for decades now with self-image self-esteem self-acceptance self-actualization self-concept self-awareness self-help and so much more as if feeding the self monster puts you on a path of enlightenment and freedom look around check out the news Has it put us on a path of enlightenment and freedom and bet it's been destructive to people? It's it's wreaked havoc and confusion. Listen to me. I know it's radical, but we got to come back to Bible. And when you come back to Bible, it is so radical to worldly thinking. And we need Christians to stop laying hold of worldly thinking and saying, how can we just tweak this and baptize it with a few little Bible verses? We're really saying the same thing, doing the same thing in a more Christian kind of way. When you listen to the words of Jesus, it is in stark contrast to what the world is thinking and doing. Right here in Luke 9, Jesus turns this whole 
self-universe on its head and says you'll never discover who you are and find real freedom and life by feeding the me monster and by pursuing more of you. Here's what you need to understand. There are some things that only happen as a byproduct of something else. And identity and real joy are examples of it. When you make you, the pursuit of you, the enhancement of you, the fulfillment of you, your goal, you never get there and it's destructive. When you make happiness and your own personal joy, your goal, you never get it. But you find both along the way when you begin to live for someone else, for the glory of God, for his mission and not you, you begin to come into a discovery of your real identity, who you cre- he created you to be and real joy. But I know on the front end, you're like, no way, that couldn't le- deny self, take up a cross daily. That doesn't sound fun. I'm not gonna get on that path. It's a byproduct of something else. And yet so many What just grieves me, so many best-selling Christian books continue to propagate the lie of self and contradict flatly what Jesus is saying here today. Rachel Hollis took the Christian world by storm in 2018 with her number one New York Times bestseller, Girl, Wash Your Face. Now sold three million copies. But listen to me, and I know it's, I feel it. It was awkward in the first service, it's awkward again. Because some of you are thinking, I love that book. We use that in a Bible study. My best friend. Pay attention. If you are listening to the words of Jesus, you should be very troubled by many of the words of Rachel Hollis. Even though she has peppered throughout the book reference to Jesus, her faith, Christianity, the Bible, You guys, that is the problem. I think it would be better, those books that are out there, that everything they're saying is absolutely terrible. Those aren't as dangerous. It's books that have some truth, but the core is wrong. And they've just got sprinkled around it. Well, there's reference to Jesus and faith and Christianity. And even what they're saying, it just resonates with me, Pastor Brad. That should be your first concern. I mean, when I read my Bible, I find places continually where I'm like, I don't read it and say, man, that's exactly what I would have thought. That's already what I wanted to do. Die to self. Be last. Make me last. Give me dirty feet. Let me wash feet. Man, I woke up wanting to do that anyway, and now I see it in the Bible. This is so cool how he affirms what I already wanted. No! I'm like, ah, God, help me. I still have this very other raw, real desire that is so different than what you're saying. God, by your power in me and your spirit alive and direct access to your throne and your word being my authority, change me. Help me not continue on that path. You say, Brad, what's wrong with girl, wash your face? And for what it's worth, I read it. So don't email and say, did you read it? Yep. I, I, I read it and then rip it. Read it, rip it, read it, rip it. Same thing I did with the shack. I didn't just jump in with a few bad quotes and said the shack is bad. I read it and then I ripped it. So I read it and it's scary. Oh, she's a phenomenal writer. Uh, uh, she could be my best friend. She's, she just draws you in. She's so real. She's so transparent. No doubt. Don't hear me saying there aren't some amazing things going on there. At the core At the core, it contradicts the words of your Savior. Deny yourself. 
Take up your cross daily. Follow me. He who tries to hold on to his life, oh man, make it good for me. Me, 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 me. We'll lose it. He who loses it. What does it profit if you gain the whole world, Rachel? You know, some of her goals, like write down 10 goals and put them on the mirror and every day look at them. And one of her goals is, I only fly first class. Are you kidding me? What a low, worldly, meaningless. I love it when they bump me. Yeah. I'm not going to say, oh, no, 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 please keep me in coach. No. Bump me all you want. I'll go right up there and share Jesus in first class. But I'm not going to wake up and one of my mantras that I live for now is, I only fly first class. Yikes. Here's the problem. She has redefined what it means to be a follower of Jesus. When she says, and I quote, you were meant to be the hero of your own story. You should be the very first of your priorities. Now, please don't hear me saying that won't resonate with you. On your worst day when you're thinking, who's thinking about me? Where's me time? When's the last time I had me time? You're going to say, girl, yes, I'm going to wash my face and do that. But if you read your Bible, you're like, nowhere in the Bible will you see anything that says you are the hero of your own story. Oh, I'm a part of a story. There's one hero, Jesus Christ. My part in the story is why would that amazing savior even save me? But I get to be a part of his kingdom now, living for his glory now. I have an incredible hero and his name is Jesus. I'm not the hero of my own story. And I do not wake up every day saying, now, wait a minute, I've got a list of things to do, but I better prioritize me. Show me a verse in the Bible that says that. Go to Philippians 2. Let me show you what the Bible does say. Philippians chapter 2. This is bonus. There's a lot of bonus passages today. So jot this down. Philippians 2. It's not in your outline. Philippians 2 verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now line that up with her. That's radically different. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now here's what's interesting about the New Testament. It never just says do hard things. Die to self, serve others, die to self. The writers almost always frame it up with Jesus or you'd never have a reason it's like, here's, here's who your Savior is. Here's what he did for you. Now here's what he calls you to do. Here's who your Savior is. Here's what he did for you. Here's what he's like, and you're supposed to become more like him. Now do this. That's where he goes next. Because this is radical. What? Consider the interests of others. What? Well, here's why. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have the mind of Christ. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He knew who he was. He knew his rights. He knew his privileges. And he laid it all aside and humbled himself. Verse 7, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. You say you follow Jesus? Then listen to Jesus how he wants us to live. And, And it will be radically different than the rest of the world. Radically different. In her second book, it only got worse. She just continued to push this theme of self further when she says, and I quote, the real you is destined for something more. So far, I agree. 
Yes, you were made for more. More than just this world. More than what the world is already chasing after. God made you in his image to live for his glory and something bigger and better than just this world. Yes, you were made for more. But here's what she says next. The real you is destined for something more. Your version of more. And there's the problem. Jesus is telling us what it looks like to follow him. You don't get to create your own version. This is who you were made to be. And the first step to making that vision a reality is to stop apologizing for having the dream in the first place. Like Lady Gaga says. Dear me. Not only have you stopped listening to Jesus, you've started listening to someone that I don't think we should model our lives after. Like Lady Gaga says, baby, you were born this way. Oh, help us. Yes, Gaga got it right. You were born with the me monster. You were born with the sinful self. The answer isn't go with it. So go with it. If I feel this, it must be right. If I want this, it must be right. My only hope of being self-actualized, fulfilled, joyful, happy purpose is to give into what I feel and want and go for it. No, no. It's time to become who you were made to be. Yeah, it's true. It's time to become who you were made to be, an image bearer, living for the glory of God, laying aside self because you've got a hold of something greater. You've tasted something greater. You've experienced something greater. You're being satisfied and fulfilled on a deeper level by things that are not in this world. You're not still just trying to gain the whole world. Even on, even on kids, I would hate to be one of her kids. I can't help but think one day she's going to regret what she wrote because there it is in print. On being home with her kids, she actually says, quote, it's not my spiritual gifting. It's not in my wheelhouse. Let me help you here. Dying to self. How many people are a parent, father or mother? Wasn't in my wheelhouse either. (laughs) Woo! I got married and it was like, oh. Oh my goodness, a little bit of death to self. And I thought I was dead. Then we had a baby. Oh, I ain't dead yet. Wow, because there, <laughs> there's still more of me rising up saying, oh, I'm running out of me time. When am I going to get my time? Like, I got to bathe somebody. I gotta. Then we had another baby. Oh, and another one. Oh, and another one. Oh, oh, oh. And I'm still not dead. <laughs> but it's helped. It's like, it is nobody's gifting. It's a calling. Don't start looking through Second Corinthians, First Corinthians twelve at the list of gifts and say, uh, "Gift of mothering, mothering, mothering." Ah, not mine. <laughs> it's a calling to die. To, so much of what He calls us to do is hard and contrary to what your flesh would want, but we do it because He's leading us, and He did it in even more incredible ways than us. Laid aside His rights, and guess what? No one may know you're doing it. I know it's a bunch of stuff behind the scenes that just has to be repeated over and over. And you just think, does anyone know what I'm doing? Does anybody care what I'm doing? He does. And guess what? These things that seem so hard and thankless are actually what are making you more like Jesus. Oh, it's not in my wheelhouse. She says, you know what is in my wheelhouse? Building a successful business, writing books, crushing it on social media, strategizing, branding, PR, and planning live events for women to fly in from all over the world to be inspired. 
Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying I have a problem with all this quote because women shouldn't work outside the home. They shouldn't have other gifts. They shouldn't develop anything. They shouldn't. No. I believe a woman, yes, could work outside the home, could have other gifts, could have other things going on. I'm so grateful for women who've written books. I read female authors and benefit tremendously, have sat at the feet of women, young and old, and they've helped me. Don't hear me saying you can't be on social media some. My problem is she is holding up branding, strategizing, writing books, building a business, inspiring people at a conference. She's holding this up as real life in opposition to the things that require sacrificial giving and saying this is what will lead to real life. The sooner you stop doing all these things and start saying yes to you. And that is a worldly, satanic lie. Lie. And you didn't hear it from your Savior. You didn't hear it from your Savior. Oh, the words of Jesus in Luke 9 contradict Rachel Hollis and so many others. When he says you actually find yourself when you stop looking for you and making it all about you and being so concerned about you. And you start losing yourself for his glory and others. Sacrificing for others, others. And I hope you know this is not just some odd Odd, exceptional, random, extreme moment in the Bible. Like, well, all right, we got this with Jesus in Luke 9, and that is really, really radical, but nowhere else does that get repeated. Not true. What Jesus is leading in with here gets repeated and reiterated over and over and over in the New Testament, which is why the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. There's a death. Death to that old self. Death to the me monster. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am, I'm trying to live like him. He loved, he gave. He loved, he gave. I'm following someone who's a lover and a giver and a sacrificer. I don't live for myself. I died. He lives in me. It's why Paul pushes us to keep our new identity in sharp focus when he says in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, you died and you've been raised to something new that's radically different than this world. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on this earth. For you died. That old you, that me monster, that self, that inner core, you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then I love this next phrase. When Christ, who is our life, appears. That defines a disciple. It's not, oh, I got Jesus on the fringes. I've added Jesus to my party. Jesus is in a little wagon and I pull him along and I tell him what I want when I want it. Let me help you here. Jesus rides in no one's little wagon. Jesus sets up his throne in your heart and life and he's king Jesus. He's Lord and he's good. You don't need to be afraid of that. He's good. But I have, Christianity is all about ownership and authority. 
own, I'm, I'm owned by somebody else. That's why Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You're not your own. You're not your own. You're not your own. Yes, you were a slave to sin and Satan, and he bought you by his blood, but he bought you to bring you into the kingdom of his dear son so that now Jesus is king, and I submit to his authority. It's not like I do whatever I want now, and he just helps enhance me even more. He helps me get what I always wanted. But notice something else in this passage. It's not just that true disciples are changed at the core Oh, when your core changes, it changes what you live for. It just changes what you live for. Following Jesus changes what you live for. Because I want you to understand, when Jesus uses the word cross in verse 24, he's not talking about physical suffering. And he's not talking about some great, amazing, sacrificial thing you might do once in a lifetime. He's talking about those moment-by-moment decisions you have to make continually to say no to self and yes to the will of God. What would he want? What does he say? Where would he lead me? What is he saying? Moment by moment. Which is why Luke, of all the gospel writers, adds this little word daily. Which makes it clear. If he's talking about physical death, that could only happen once. He's talking about that death to self. Which is why I'm saying today is the day to obey this passage Not one day when it gets worse and some of us become martyrs for Christ. That day may be coming. Right now, Luke 9 is talking to us. That moment by moment, dying to self daily. You can never cross it off of your to-do list. I can have a very good day, not perfect, but a good day of listening to my Lord and following him and saying no to the me monster. And the next morning when I wake up, I can be all out of sorts and I got to listen to him again. I got to be filled with the spirit again. I better go to his word again and I better get a hold of direct access to his throne where I can say, oh, help me today to live radically different for your glory instead of my glory, for your mission instead of the advancement of me. It's a daily, daily Daily thing. You even think about John the Baptist. When he said in John 3.30, this is extra also, he must increase, but I must decrease. This is all through the Bible, you guys. All through the Bible. And the Bible is a bestseller every year. You wonder why. Because this is not what people want to have. Christian books that actually say what the Bible says don't do well. They do not do well. I'm sorry, almost always when you see one just go berserk, it's like, oh my goodness, that's so cool. They're a Christian and millions of copies are being sold. You got to wonder, hmm. And often it's because it's baptized and peppered with references to Jesus and faith and Christianity. But at the core, it still matches what we always wanted. Nothing's changed. And that's why people grab it and say, yes, yes, I'm glad someone is saying what I want to be true. You live for something different. Your core is different. You live for something different. Let me show you what I'm talking about with that live for something different. Go to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For the love of Christ. Say it. 
controls us. Oh, you're not supposed to be still controlled by the me monster and what you already wanted. Id, raw id, now has Jesus to help id get what it wants. No. I am supposed to be so overwhelmed by the love of Jesus and what he did for me that that controls me. Fruit of the Spirit, right up top of the list. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. When you're filled with the Spirit and you're listening to your Savior, love is supposed to control you. For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all. Now he's going to tell you what those who truly believe in him look like. Here it is again, purpose clause. He died for all, that those who live, he means you're truly alive spiritually, those who live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Skip to verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, Colossians 3 we had, my life is hidden with Christ in God. If you're in Christ, you're born again. The core has changed. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What's he thought about? Because if you were honest, you'd have to say, oh, before I came to faith in Christ, I was struggling with abusing prescription drugs or alcohol and it did not go away immediately. Oh, before I became a Christian, I cussed like a sailor and those words still fly out sometimes. Uh, what's he talking about? At the core, you've changed. You're a new creation. The me monster is no longer your master. You do not have to obey Oh, you could, but you don't have to. That power has been broken. The Holy Spirit's there. You got direct access to the throne. You got his word alive to you. But this word better renew your mind. And it can't renew your mind if you're not reading it. And if you're watching more television and reading other books than this book, you'll still struggle. Oh, but at the core, new creation. The new has come. You no longer live for yourself. But for him who died and rose again, do you know anything about this kind of Christianity? Do you know what it's like to have the love of Christ for you now cause you to live for him and his glory and a bigger mission, something bigger than right here? Grab it, get it, promote me, the good life, trying to gain all that I can get here in this world. Do you know anything about this? Do you know what it feels like to have the old things passed away and the new come? Listen to me. There are not two versions of Christianity, the regular and the get serious green beret. There's one, one. If you're not a disciple and he's not Lord, you're not a Christian. And Jesus defines what discipleship looks like. This is what my followers look like. Not perfectly, but you have a new desire. And you're like, Lord, more and more make this true of me. If you're here and you don't know Jesus or you're listening online, I'm so glad you're here. Oh, come to Christ. Come to Christ. You will never, you will never find real joy and freedom and self-actualization by feeding the me monster and just going hard after gaining the whole world. You will not get there. You will not find it. Come to Christ and come to Christ. Discover as you submit to King Jesus, 
what real security and freedom feels like to, yes, you were made for more. Thank you, Rachel. To begin to live for that more. That more was the glory of God and the mission of God and kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. And Christians put down the books that tell you what we were born already wanting to believe and do. And start listening to your Lord. Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus and start living for what matters most. You will begin, trust me, you will begin to find real joy and a sense of identity. And I think I know what I was created to do and who I'm supposed to be as you lose your life and stop trying to hang on to it. And you get to be a part of something God's doing bigger. And you will find real identity and joy along the way. Oh God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for not just telling us who Jesus is, but allowing Jesus to clarify for us what a disciple looks like. And in our world of confusion and error and even, yea, verily, destructive heresy, would you bring light and truth and rescue people from the path of the me monster and bring them into the kingdom of your dear son and change us from the inside out, from the core out and make us the same kind of people you had in the early days that people might say, oh my goodness, these Christians who have turned the world upside down have come into my office, my gym, my neighborhood. May they say, why do you live this way? Why would you be so loving? Why would you be so sacrificial? Why would you be so selfless? And then allow us to talk about the one who matters most, Jesus. God, grip us for these last days and use us to be a part of what you're doing. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.